We're going through the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 9. We'll read verses 1 through 12. Let's go to the Lord of his word. Father God, thank you for your word. Again, we thank you that it is without error that you speak clearly through it. We pray that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to love what we hear, that you would transform us more into the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ, even through what we hear today. We thank you for the promise that your word will accomplish what you seek for it to accomplish. And we pray that you would create faith by the hearing of the gospel where there may be none now, and that you would strengthen weak knees and weak faith, and that you would encourage everyone, and that you would continue to show us more of yourself. And we pray this in the holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. It's Revelation chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke, like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant of any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like women's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like the like breastplates of iron, and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. And in Greek, he is called Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. The word of the Lord. <clears throat> so, on reading this, it's not really difficult to figure out what the symbolism symbolizes. But the application of this to us is a little tricky. For me to figure out is you know, thinking, hey, what are you, what are we, what's the point of the sermon? What you're preaching? What's going on here? <clears throat> but then it sort of it occurred to me. It all came clear, um, and hopefully it will. Again, this morning, there's uh, in seminary we were assigned twenty something people to to preach from a, a, the same text in scripture, and so you heard twenty sermons plus on the same text, and. It was quite remarkable how everyone, and everyone did a good job, that it was preaching from the text, 
but no sermon was just alike. There were sermons that, that had this application and that application and made you think about this or think about that or a sermon that focused on this particular aspect or that particular aspect. But um, Dr. Kara would teach us at seminary is the meaning of a text, meaning is a circle. And what he meant by that is draw a circle on the board and there are, there's meaning that's at the center of that circle that that text is teaching. And you need to preach that. And there are some other things that are true that might not be the center of the passage, but it's in there. But there are things that are outside that circle, and that's not stuff you ought to be preaching. You, meaning is a circle, and within that circle is what you preach. And then, from what does that mean, we can take that from the Word of God and say, how does that apply to me? How am I to take that truth and apply it to my heart and to my life? So we come to the, the book of Revelation, and that circle of meaning becomes universal almost in its scope, where it's like you can mean anything. Um, Charles Manson believed that the scorpions, the locusts, were... Anybody know? Anybody know? You know who Charles Manson was? Yeah. Chris knows. Because I told him this morning. I said, I'm not going to talk about this. Then I said, I know I will. Uh, the beetles. Because they're insects. They had women like hair like women's their breastplates what do you think those were their guitars they had tails like scorpions their um yeah the cords coming out of the guitars and they would speak and they're going about you know it's like okay and uh someone else more recently has said that these things clearly represent um these attack helicopter apache helicopters because of their flapping of their wings is with great noise. And this is what I mean when I say that um, we're not to interpret the book of Revelation with newspaper. That you look and say, what are these symbols representing? And one day we're going to see those things. And here they are, so we know the end is here. And, and that's dangerous because we've been around a long time and Again, one of my favorite book titles, I can't remember if the date is right, but it's close, 88 Reasons the World Will End in 1988. And okay, apparently they got that one wrong. And so, you know, there's been many, many apocalyptic events in the history of the church that would lead people to think and have led people to think, this is it. And yet the Lord tarries. And so what we have to do is we have to look and see what were the symbols meant, what, what's the purpose and scope of revelation and the purpose of revelation is given to us in the letters to the seven churches seven being a number of completeness it's an apocalypse it's apocalyptic literature it is symbolic language they are symbolic numbers and they are only to be interpreted in the way that the book tells you to interpret it and using how is this um, symbolism used in the old testament and then it all becomes clear when it's talking about judgment or blessing or whatever so you have the church that's going through many things throughout the the, the time where they're persecuted and they're withstanding persecution there's certain churches that are, are giving in to the world they're becoming like the world they're tolerating the world there's some who um, have experienced a, a death through persecution and they stood firm there were churches who were teaching heresies and didn't care there were churches that were just dead and yet he ends the letters and saying but I stand at the door and knock and anyone listens and at each of I'll come in and eat with him but at the end of each one of the letters he says to the one who overcomes I will give 
to eat freely from the tree of life. And, and different things that he says at the end of each of the letters of seven churches, which mean you'll be in the presence of God if you remain faithful to the end. Now, that cannot mean if the church that was in the first century remained faithful to the end of, you know, this year, they, they're dead. So as you remain faithful throughout your life is what this is about. So how is the book of Revelation supposed to help all believers throughout all time to remain faithful throughout their life, especially in the midst of severe persecution and severe evil in darkness? And that's what the book of Revelation is, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. So that you can see that it is he who walks in the midst of the churches. It is he who is building his church. And in Revelation chapter 9, we're in the midst of these trumpet um, judgments. And the, the trumpets we've talked about are, are warnings. They're, they're a call to assembly. They're a call to war. And as you hear that, you know that these things that he's talking about here are done to the earth dwellers, to the world, in such a way that they might be called to see that there is a God and there will be judgment. So we have to be careful as we're preaching the gospel that we don't make the gospel simply, God loves you. And all you need to do is accept that love. It's true. However, it is also true that God is angry with the wicked every day. That God will finally judge those who are outside of Christ with a complete and total judgment. And that, he is, that there is holiness, and without the holiness, of you will not see God. And so we achieve this holiness through Jesus Christ. We're, we're clothed in him, we're covered in him. It is what Christ has done for us, so that when we go to heaven and we stand, we're, we're to stand before God and he were, or someone at the gates, and they were to say, why shall I let you into heaven? It is not thing that I... It, because Christ died for my place, in my place. Jesus Christ covered my sin. I'm hidden in him. Can't you see I'm clothed in white? I mean, that, there's not going to be the question asked because they know, God knows who are his. But it's a good question to ask on what are you basing the assurance of your salvation to get into heaven. Is it because you're doing good? Is it because you're a member of a church? Or is it because Jesus Christ paid the penalty for my sin on the cross, was raised on the third day for our justification to show that his sacrifice was enough on our behalf? Then whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that's what we're told. But we're going through difficulties. And here in Revelation chapter 9, in, in these letters to seven churches, and if we just now... Ian kind of called me out on this the other day. He says, you don't interpret, it's not how you talk. He says, you don't interpret the book of Revelation uh, with the newspaper, and yet you've been using a newspaper, it seems like, to interpret the book of Revelation. And it's like, kind of, a little bit, but it's not, it's a little bit different. What you do is, is you let the Old Testament tell you what is being taught, and now what we do is we look around us and say, how do we see this being expressed in our world today? How do we apply this to our world today? But what you don't do is say, I'm waiting for these locusts to appear in some way, and it's obvious that these locusts are, and that's what it's talking about, and the time has arrived. Um, that's not what we see in the rest of scripture so that's not what we see in the book of revelation what we see in the rest of scripture and we're going to continue to, to look at this too but let's look at the symbolism briefly the symbolism of these locusts so um we're not going to turn there right now but it we 
we've seen in these other trumpet judgments that they have um, connections to the plagues of Egypt, the ten plagues of Egypt, which God told Pharaoh, God told Moses to tell Aaron to tell Pharaoh to let my people go, and Pharaoh's like, I'm not going to do that, and he says, well, then there's going to be judgments, and then these, these plagues that came upon Egypt were judgments on each of the gods, at least ten of the gods that Egypt was worshiping and depending on for its power and prestige and protection. And God is saying to them, you better be aware that I am the true God and I'm over all these gods and they have no power over, over me and they cannot protect you. Finally, the last one being the death of the firstborn son, which was the death of the son of God in the Egyptian way of looking at it because the Pharaoh himself was considered to be God and his son, the son of a God. And so God is saying is, I can even destroy Pharaoh. He has no power. And so obey me and listen to me. So we hear these trumpets that are taking place, these judgments that are taking place in our world today, and they are to tell and warn the world, in this particular trumpet we're seeing, your gods can't protect you. The things that you cling to, the things that you hope in, the things that bring you purpose, the things that bring you meaning, that, that are apart from God, the things that they, they can't ultimately save you. And if you turn to the prophet Joel, chapter 1, and just listen, and keeping in mind what we've heard in the book of Revelation, and that John and the hearers would be familiar with this, and this is, you know, so how do locusts and judgment and all these things, that they have a connection to the Old Testament, and we do see it pretty clearly here in Joel, beginning in chapter 1, verse 2. Hear this, you elders. Give ear, all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it. And let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust is eating. You saw that judgment that's come on their country. The people of God are being judged. In Egypt, the, the, the evil world received physical locusts and physical judgment to demonstrate that God is in control and is judging them. The first four trumpets we saw were earthly judgments that we saw upon the sky, the sea, the, 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 um, the fresh water and whatnot. So now we're seeing the physical attacks on the people. But in Joel, what they're saying is there is an enemy that's coming in to chastise my people, but there is a spiritual element behind them because I am sending them to attack you for your chastisement, that you might turn. Verse 4, what the cutting locust left, the swarming locust is eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. What the hopping locust left, the destroying locust has eaten. Awake, you drunkards, and weep, and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are lion's teeth, and it has the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. And then Joel chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. 
Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Like blackness there is spread upon the mountains, and a great and powerful people. Their like has never been before, nor will ever again after them through all the years of all generations." Fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses they run. As with the rumbling of chariots they leap on the tops of mountains, like the crackling of a flame of fire devouring the stubble, like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Before the people, and this is again explaining the, you know, the locusts that are coming, which are actually the armies. Before them, peoples are in anguish. All faces grow pale. Like warriors, they charge. Like soldiers, they scale the wall. They march each on his way. They do not swerve from their paths. They do not jostle one another. Each marches in his path. They burst through the weapons and are not halted. They leap upon a city. They run upon the walls. They climb up into the windows. They enter through the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? From Joel, we see that God is using these outside forces as his judgment on the people and he's comparing them to locusts and scorpions and darkness and the stars don't shine and it's the same imagery that we see here in the book of revelation so that it is quite clear what these things represent so locusts or these demons and scorpions have this tail that stings but they're like horses that are you see how it's like he's putting all this imagery together and it's not so that you can keep your eyes open so that one day so that what John is doing is he's looking into the future he's seeing a CNN report of some battle and he looks and he's like sees helicopters well how do you describe that oh well that must be some kind of that's a locust that's loud no God gave him an image imagery of spiritual warfare throughout the time of the church and so that this is what's happening and so in verse 1 in revelation 9 the fifth angel blew his trumpet i saw a star and it's that had fallen this is past tense he's not seeing a star falling he is seeing a star that has fallen and it's in the, the past tense and it's fallen from heaven to earth and so most commentators believe this is Satan. I, I agree this is an evil angel. And, that this is, and he's been given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. All right, so a key is authority. A key allows you to... It, and it's given to him. So who gives it? And this is given to him by God. So God is allowing Satan to call forth demons to punish, and here's the tricky thing, non-believers. This is not a punishment towards believers. Because what he says is, verse 4, they were told not to harm the, the grass or the earth or the green plant or any tree, which is what locusts do. So this is obviously some kind of spiritual locust. But only those who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. If we remember previously, there was a pause for the judgment to take place while all the people of God were sealed. So as believers, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. 
Uh, we even understand the sacraments as being signs and seals of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That these things represent the covenant love, the covenant protection that God has promised to his people. And that is not a physical protection. It is a spiritual protection that the non-believer does not have. And so we're going to look at that for just a moment too. But Satan is given the key and it's called uh, the pit of the abyss. In, in, in Greek, it's the abyssos. Ah is that word for non or no. And busos means bottom. It's like the bottom of a, you know, there's a bottomless thing. So there's no bottom. The abyss. It's the pit of the abyss. And it's where all these demons are. And I was reading different commentaries, different um, exegetes, people who study the scripture and apply it that I trust to try to get different opinions on these things and see if I miss something. And then um, I read Dr. Kelly's, I saved it for last. And um, so was his very, basically what his, his commentary is, is um, his sermons that he's preached on this a few years ago. And they, they um, make it into a book. But he does this. This was written in 2012 and reprinted in 2015. So this is before um, we have coronavirus and a lot of the craziness that, that's going on in the world today. But, but he writes this. And as, you know, as 9-11 was yesterday, and, and if you watched, you know, if you were old enough when that occurred to be watching it and sort of understanding in some way what was happening, it is one of those things that, you know, a day that will live in infamy. You remember where you were and what you were thinking and what you did and all these things. And this is the world, you know, a few years later that Dr. Kelly's writing in. And, um, and I was in seminary at the time, and so it's quite... I don't know. Watching it happen again on TV, it brought tears to my eyes again because you just remember, you see, you know, what evil is and how, you know, if, if, if I remember one of my professors at seminary said 9-11 happened because missions wasn't. And it's like, oh, that's kind of a, what are you saying here? <laughs> he was just saying, you know, if the, the gospel goes forth in greater power, that kind of thing. This is a religious war. This is a spiritual thing. This is what happens. This is what, you know, brings the judgment of God on people. And that 9-11 is a judgment. That all these things are judgments. You know, not just saying, you know, uh, one of the sermons I heard after 9-11 was on the Tower of Siloam. And it says, you know, that Jesus is talking about, you know, those people on whom this tower fell. And uh, were they more evil than other people? Why they die and not somebody else? Make sure that you repent lest something, you know, happens to you. It's like, it's not that those people were more evil than anybody else. But it's like, when you see things happening, it's a wake-up call. When I saw that happen, and people saw that happen, they were reminded for a time that there are things beyond our power that can come in and get us. And that's what God uses often when we come into times, and Dr. Kelly was talking about this, it makes sense to me, that there are times in our world when evil seems to be really progressing, when darkness seems to be taking over, when the church seems to be heading in wrong directions. And what God does is he shakes the foundations and that he brings allows Satan to do more things in the world to bring about some destruction, earthquakes, uh, you know, plagues, uh, floods, um, all sorts, droughts, things that happen in the world that we 
call acts of God, um, then God is able to use sin sinlessly, where he's not the author of confusion, he's not the author of evil, but he does allow in a fallen and cursed world, he does allow evil a rather um, long leash in order to bring about his purposes and to call people to wake up and see that there is more to this life than materialism and whatever it is that we happen to be living for. So he wrote this. As we think of Islamic terrorism confronting so much of the world, we wonder if we are on the verge of seeing the evil one opening the shaft to the dark pit and letting loose hell on the modern world. Now, don't get confused and think that this hasn't happened before. I believe if Revelation was written before the fall of Jerusalem, then it clearly indicates that's what was happening when God is judging Jerusalem. It's clearly what happens at different times and epochs of the world. This is what happens as God, uh, we go through cycles in this world. And he's saying, are we not seeing this again? If so, many things that we count on for our daily comfort could be shaken down very fast. And as I was reading this, I'm like, okay, the coronavirus really, you know, that's a, something he didn't anticipate seeing. And it's something that, you know, make us think. Many things that we count on for our daily comfort could be shaken down very fast. But remember that even in the worst times, the kingdom of Christ will somehow invisibly be advancing over the rubble of materialism and unbelief as the towers of human pride tumble down. As the towers of human pride tumble down. And we've seen Christ grow his church in the midst of this. As I've talked to other pastors in other churches, we've gone to General Assembly and talked to you know, denomination across this country and talked to missionaries from around the world. Um, this has been, the church has grown in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of what appears to be one of the most frightening things ever for modern man to deal with because of this great, fear of death that man has even if he doesn't admit to it and it's the power of satan over man he writes certainly at times god does let the powers of evil kill his saints to fill up the number of the elect who are in glory that cannot be ruled out but the one thing he will not allow is this he will not let the powers of evil get through to our minds to our souls and spirits so as to cut us off from faith in Jesus and the love of God in Christ. That can never happen. And it is a great comfort to us, no matter what may be ahead in the uncertain days ahead. The real issue is never to predict the future. God does not give us that ability. We do not need it, but we can keep in mind that as believers, we are already and always on the winning side. We cannot deal so much with the things that may be shaken because God may shake down all our worldly confidence. But everything that can be shaken in accordance with the will of God will always work to the advancement of the true cause of Christ. The issue for us as we face the future is to be certain that we are on the right side now. And I'll close with this from Dr. Kelly. When we see large-scale large scale immoralities sweeping through the cultures of America and Western Europe, it tells us something. Now, he didn't see nothing by then, the way this is sweeping across our country and across the world in a way in which is exponentially 
nothing but miraculous in the way that evil is advancing in ways that perhaps we did not think would happen so quickly. God has allowed Satan to lift the lid off the pit and turn, to demon, and turn demons loose on those who have rejected the word of God for several generations. One particular question faces us. Why are certain types of perversion increasing in America and Europe? apparently reaching into high levels of government, universities, and media. Why is there so much of it now that we did not see several years ago? Revelation 9 provides the answer. God has let the fallen angels open the pit for a time as a judgment on the unbelief of our materialistic society. So in verse 2 in Revelation chapter 9, this fallen star, most likely Satan, has opened the shaft at the bottomless pit, and from the shaft smoke arose like the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened and with the smoke of the shaft so this is judgment smoke in the old testament always typically represents this judgment in the isaiah throne room scene the throne was filled with with smoke and it can be incense smoke or it could be you know you be careful because this is you know judgment that takes place in the holiness of god but isaiah 34 10 says night and day and he's talking about uh, 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 judgment on a particular country uh, night and day it shall not be quenched its smoke shall go up forever and so this is what we see is this judgment so if you turn to Romans chapter 1 it's a very you know, particular chapter that deals with this particular issue and it's good to keep in mind as we see what's happening in the world around us and as you know Christians, how are we to respond to these things that are going on around us? Because we certainly get called up into the physical judgments that are taking place on non-believers. We experience the physicalness of it, but not the spiritual aspects that take place of this. And so what is the spiritual aspect of a physical judgment that takes place in non-believers? And we see this in Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Okay, so it's not that they don't, it's just, you know, I mean, Facebook suppresses the truth. YouTube suppresses the truth. They at least suppress counter-truths. They, they have this thing is true, and if you put this thing out there on particular issues, uh-uh, slap down. That's what humans do. When they're not believers and they hear God speaking, they see God at work, they go, no, I will reject that, I cancel that, I will suppress that information according to God's word. In verse 19, because what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And this is what demons do in the midst of trial and struggle to non-believers. They harden their hearts, and they darken their minds. And then, verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So they worship the creation in different ways. Therefore, what does God do? He gives them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature 
rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For the women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. Do you see what's happening over and over again? God giving them up. God giving them over to these things. If this is what you want, then this is what you will have. And you've maybe done this with your children. It's like they keep asking for this and asking for that. And you know if they get it, it's not good. And so you're like, well, just then eat the whole thing. You know, and they get sick from eating a whole pie or something like that. I don't know. You turn them over to something that they want. You know, so that you're watching over them so you're not letting them run out to the middle of a tree, a tree and get, I mean, middle of a tree, middle of the street or the middle of a tree and get, you know, hurt. But the worst judgment can be, I mean, what if the sins that we struggle with, God just says, you want that? Let's let it have free run. And I do believe that's what we see today. These things are judgments. Um, 29, they're filled with all sorts, all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips. So don't be these types of people either. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die... They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. And I think it's what we see. And so the question is, you know, how do we respond to these things? And not to take you all over the Bible, but just quickly here, Luke chapter 10. It's a pretty pivotal little section for what we're talking about with the spiritual warfare that's taking place in the world. Uh, Luke 10 Verses 17 through 20, um, Jesus sends out um, the 72, and they're to go out and proclaim the, the gospel in these different cities and stuff. And so they come back in verse 17, Luke 10, 17. And the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. Now, that's not talking about physical serpents and scorpions. This is talking about demons. I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Now, that's talking about, because each of the apostles, um, except for John, were um, executed in some pretty bad ways so they weren't necessarily protected physically and jesus says if they persecuted me they'll persecute you but you being protected from harm spiritually is a is a is a thing that we kind of don't think of enough uh verse 20 nevertheless do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you but rejoice that your names are written in heaven so it's not this stuff about, oh, we can do that. You know, you get so caught up with demons. You get so caught up with all this stuff, all these little things. Like, no, your names are written in heaven. You're sealed. This is the thing that gets you through. Yea, they'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm fearing no evil because they'll ride in your staff. They come. Your presence is with me. My name is written in heaven. I am sealed. I will go through this, and we will get through this. And we have to be careful because 
what we see in verse 9 is that, well, let me go through too quick, verse 4, they're told not to harm the grass, but only those who don't have the seal on their foreheads. And in verse 5, they were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And so five months, five's half a ten, ten is a complete thing. So if you're talking about judgment um, with the number ten, that's going to be complete and final judgment. This is not complete and final judgment. This is a particular foretaste of a judgment to come unless you repent and call upon the name of the Lord. And in those days, people will seek death and not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. This is Old Testament language again, where God's saying, I'm judging a people, and this is exactly what he says. They will seek death and will not find it. This does not mean there's going to be a particular time in the future when people are doing everything they can to kill themselves, and they just can't do it. There's something weird going on. But it's kind of what you see if you understand the spiritual torment that takes place in nonbelievers today. Um, in Psalm 51, and I was, I was envious of the arrogant because they didn't seem to have any cares like I did. But then I saw what was before them. They're, you put their feet on slippery places, they, they fall. Their future is not good. And so what you see is you might see nonbelievers living it up, smiling, laughing, carrying on, but it doesn't take much to have the foundation shaken. It doesn't take much to have this internal... I mean, as a believer, how difficult that can be. But what we have to be as believers is to be careful not to let these doctrines of demons get into our heads. Be very careful about falling for these deceptive teachings and the deceptive things that we see going on. It should be that when the world starts talking about certain things that it sees going on, that as believers we ought to be going sometimes, what? What are you talking about? Who? What? And it's like, oh, y'all just aren't with it. You know, that's what the, back in my parents' day, that's how they would say it. You know, you're not, you're not hip to the world. You're not, gosh, how do you young people talk today? You don't understand what's going on. You know, you're not, you got to be on, on, on the Twitter. You got to be doing the, I don't even tweet anymore. What's the thing with the Snapchat thing? Is that, what's the thing with the pictures and the, <laughs> oh, the TikTok thing. Oh, even that, that's the video. So whatever they all are, you know, you have to be careful because those things can get into your head, get into your mind, and suddenly you're, you're being conforming to a world that's being judged by God, and you have to be careful of that because our only hope is in Christ, and we want to be different than the world because Christ has destroyed death through death. He's destroyed the destroyer by dying on the cross. So people seeking death and not finding it, there's a hopelessness, um, They'll long to die, but death will flee from them. And you see it, people attacking themselves in different ways. And it's just, it, 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 this should sadden us and cause us to want to preach the gospel. Should help us to be going forth and not saying, hey, everything you're doing is fine. But what we say is, there is a Savior. There is light. There is truth. We live our lives in a way that's different so that they see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. It doesn't mean they see us doing these good things. They see us living our lives differently. They recognize the fact that when the foundations are shaken, our foundations are not shaken. When there's no toilet paper on the shelf, when there's no distilled water. Why can't I find my distilled water at Food Line? When there's nothing, you know, these things that you actually start to need, the gasoline, you know, things like that start to run out. Are we running around like crazy out there? And sometimes we do. And be careful. Don't seek your foundation in physical things. Seek our foundation in the things of the Lord. 
And then we get to verse 7, and we can go through. The appearance of locusts were like horses prepared for battle. This is, the, this is what the demonic hordes looked like when they're let loose. They're like horses prepared for battle. On their heads looks like crowns of gold. Their faces are like human faces. So there are times when uh, these beings manifest themselves through humans. And so um, linen, I think, was one such time, and there was a great famine, millions of people dying in Russia from famine, and he said, that the quote is, the famine, which would kill millions, is good because it will not only destroy the people's faith in the czar, but also in God. And so that's what he was hoping, was that this destruction would shake the foundations and people would no longer trust in God, which is what Satan uh, wanted to do with Job to put him through so much physical trial that he would eventually curse God and die. And he didn't because he was sealed. And that's what we can go through as well. Their hair was like women's hair. It's like, it's like what's that about? So it just seems to me it's like um, lots of ways that demons can get in there and deceive. Their teeth are like lion's teeth. Their breastplates are breastplates of iron, so they're indestructible. The noise of their wings, the noise of many chariots, there's just a lot of them. The horses are rushing into battle. They have their tails. It's like, okay, they present themselves good, but in the end, it's pow. You know, it's like uh, every time I think about it, I think uh, Lord of the Rings, Gandalf, you know, the Balrog falls down, and it's almost there. It's fallen, but then the tail comes. It's actually his whip, I think, comes up and grabs Gandalf and pulls him down. It's like, you know, the, the, the sting of death is sin. And so, you know, we might die, but sin doesn't have the last say in what happens to us at our death. These demons have tails and stings like scorpions. The power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as their king over them the bottomless pit. His name is, in Hebrew is Abaddon. You see there will be destruction in the grave. You see that word in your Bible, destruction is the word Abaddon. The ESV, the uh, NAS, they keep the word Abaddon in the Old Testament. So this is one of those words, destruction. And in Greek he's called Apollyon, the destroyer. And so as we think about the thief, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He is the destroyer. But Jesus destroyed the destroyer. He destroyed death in his death. John Owen wrote, the death of death in the death of Christ. So that we have this hope. And the promises for believers as we live through worldly judgments that Jesus is the victor. And in Colossians 2.15, Paul writes that Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them so as these demons go forth and they're 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 just having their way with the world allowing evil to get greater and greater you know and this is what happens and you look back at history it's like it is inconceivable how far evil can go on mass scales but then you see god bring things back and that's what we pray for and the solution to a demonic attack is not Political. The solution to a demonic attack is not physical at all. It is spiritual. It is preach the gospel, teach the gospel, proclaim Jesus Christ. Um, Philippians says, you know, uh, the peace of God regard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to focus on whatever is true, whatever is lovely, whatever is right. Focus on these things. Focus on the truth. Because it's very easy to get focused on doggone it, vaccines, uh, violence, uh, all the things, goodness, we start listing them, and it's like nothing but panic, nothing but chaos, 
Nothing but fear. Nothing but anger. Nothing but my side versus your side. And can there be one more thing we can possibly add to the list of things that we can divide people over? And yes, there are. There are innumerable things. And demons are good at this. It ain't like they were born yesterday. Okay? Demons are good at this. And Satan prowls around like a roaring lion seeking who he can destroy. And he wants to get Christians and he wants to get your churches and he wants to get your families. He wants your children. And if you don't see the culture coming after your children, then you are awake. You're not awake. You're not seeing what is happening. It concerns me to the marrow of my bones to see what is happening demonically in our government, demonically in our culture, demonically in our world, and to see the church amening it at times. You've got to wake up. You've got to know what is evil. Ten commandments, you got them. You know the difference if you're a believer between right and wrong. Don't be somebody that amens the wrong. I don't care if it's Donald Trump. I don't care if it's Joe Biden. I don't care who it is. Don't amen the wrong demonic powers are beyond our ability to deal with without Christ so what we do is we focus on Jesus Christ if you're going to rebuke a demon you rebuke him in the name of Jesus Christ and you need to do that sometimes because there are active demons all around us in your families in your homes but they can't get in here unless you let them in here but they can't rob your salvation but you got to be careful because God is not the author of confusion. And then look at the chaos around us. Chaos in government, chaos in the streets, chaos in the morality of young people, chaos in churches, chaos in our laws. It's the disordering of shalom, of creation. Believers cannot get inside your mind or soul, especially if you maintain and hold close to the word of God. Romans 1.21 says that man became vain in their imaginations and their foolish hearts were darkened. So God gave them up. And that's what we're seeing. You are a light in a dark world. You will, people will do whatever they can to suppress the light. And so therefore, what we tend to do is make our light a little less bright so we don't draw quite so much attention to ourselves. Don't do that. You're going to wake up in heaven one day. Well done, good and faithful servant. This is not all there is. This is, this is, this is not all there is. This, is so in, this time that we have here is so small, and, and it's not worth it being compared to the glory that awaits us. If we could actually live by faith that we actually do 100, 180% believe there's a kingdom to come, that this is all spiritual warfare, that there is, there is a real hell, there is a real God, there is a real heaven, if we could live truly understanding 100% that that's what that is, we'd be like Paul. I don't know what's better, to stay or to go. To stay is better for your, your part because I can help you more. But to be apart from this body and to be present with the Lord is so much better. I don't know what I'll choose, but I'm sure I'll stay because it's going to be for your good. He gives us the Lord's Supper. You know, he's a mighty fortress. That's what we're going to sing in just a moment. You know, there, though Satan threatens to undo us. He has asked, Jesus said, he's asked to sift you. He's, but I've prayed for you. I have prayed for you. This is what Jesus says to us. I have prayed for you. You're under protection. You are protected from spiritual harm. You just have to live like it so you can shine brightly. 
And I don't know how that means in every situation. But God will lead us if we, as we follow. So let's pray. Lord, we, sometimes we sing, wherever you lead, I'll go. And we can be kind of hypocritical about that at times. So we just pray that you would cause us, whatever it takes, the darker it gets, the more we're willing to be led by somebody that knows the way out. So we pray that, that your light would shine bright, that we might follow, and that we might be a light reflecting you, that others might follow, that they'd hear the gospel, see the light, and that the powers of darkness would be just undone. Because the power of God is the gospel. So help us to cling to that, especially as we come to your table, as we see the gospel applied directly to us as believers. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.